Hey guys, it's Jessica. And this is Kendra. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. We're into February. Yeah. The year just keeps going faster. Although I saw a meme the other day that said it was while we were still in January and it said we're on the 75th of January because <laughs> January felt like it was forever. I know. I don't know why. Maybe because it's like the letdown after the holidays. I truly feel that because I kept waiting for the end of the month and then it would be like 14th, 15th, <laughs> 16th. <laughs> like yes. it just took forever. Interestingly, I'm going to go have a haircut. That's not like worldwide news, but but you I don't, don't get your haircut. No, I don't cut my hair. I've had my hair long my whole life. And when I need a haircut, I trim it myself mm-hmm. because no one can do it right. There was this one lady a couple years ago. Her name was Mary. And I fell in love with her because that's my mom's name. Yeah, you like Mary's. And she actually cut it correctly. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I like this girl. And I tried the next year to get her. She's so popular. But recently, my daughter, she decided to chop her hair right in the middle of her forehead. Like cutting her bangs kind of thing? I don't know. She's done this three times. And uh, I'm like, this never ends well. I why don't do you know what you're doing. Do it? <laughs> but it's really bad because it's like she took one little section, was like snip, and then she took the other section. So they're all uneven. Oh, no. Imagine it less than an inch right in the middle of her forehead. So yeah, it's pretty obvious. It's there. So now I have to do bangs. Last time she did this, I had to cut bangs, which was my first time. And Turned out okay, but I remember the aftermath of dealing with those bangs growing out, and it was a pain in the butt. I I think I've said before, I told my hairstylist, never cut bangs on me, ever, no matter what I say. Yeah, I Because they are. (laughs) If I come in completely plastered, drunk, and say, I want bangs, tell me no. (laughs) No, go home, Kendra. So I have to go do that. I'm really frustrated about it. But she's also been begging me for short hair. Let her do it if she wants to try it. I'm not going to let her go real, real short. She's not taking care of her own hair. Yeah. And like I have to do it in the mornings. And I keep trying to get her to. But she's between two households. It's difficult. We tangle. It's thin. There has to be at least some length. It's still going to be shorter than she's ever had it. It used to go to her butt and people loved it. But when I cut her hair last time, she was so amazed. She's like, oh, I finally have short <laughs> hair. And really, it was like, it's mid, not short. It was yeah. mid back. <laughs> I'm like, that's not short, but that's okay. Even though she wants short hair, what we'll do on Monday is going to make her happy. Yeah. It's going to make me sad that she has to get bangs, but I'm going to get a haircut at that same time. Like in solidarity she, type thing? Yeah, I'm going to go first. She's never had her haircut by anybody else. This is her first salon experience. Right. <laughs> I need to be there. It'll be fun, though. She'll think it's special. Well, I think I talked about on the last episode how I was on this whole wellness journey for 2024, and I've done pretty well in January. And before I get into my episode, because my episode is going to be about the wellness industry, I want to talk about yoga a little bit. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, me and you are all about yoga. Not really. (laughs) Like, not at all. I just got a new yoga mat, though. Did you? I did. Because I've been talking to my daughter about waking up a little bit earlier. Yeah. Which requires going to bed a little bit earlier. Always. Which I don't know if that's going to happen. So now we have two yoga mats so we can do a little bit in the morning. When you think of yoga, what was your experience with it? I think there's a lot of hype around yoga. And it was more of like, oh, wow, this is like the hipster thing to go do. Mm-hmm. I remember trying it when I was a teenager for the first time at a gym. I didn't go to the gym. I was a dancer. I was naturally just whatever. But yeah. I started dating this guy and he was a big gym rat. I remember him inviting me like it was a date. 
<laughs> to the gym. <laughs> to the gym. And I went and bought like this two piece matching whatever <laughs> to go. <laughs> to look good. And he's like, well, I have this class, but there's like this yoga class at the same time if you want to do that. And so I go into this yoga class and I just remember being, I don't know, I felt really weird. The yeah. whole thing was just really weird. The only thing I enjoyed was when we were all laying on our backs and just breathing in the dark. Savasana, that's my favorite <laughs> part of yoga too. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's at home. In public, maybe I'd do the goat one or like where you get to drink wine every the goat yoga yeah (laughs) I had a friend who went to goat yoga and she said it was amazing until the goat like came to her yoga mat and started pooping on it oh that that comes with it I guess I'm like well they are wild animals and they don't understand that they shouldn't do that I did yoga honestly for the very first time at work which is really weird oh I don't like that fuck that yeah let me tell you more (laughs) I don't like it either but we had this like wellness thing and we were doing some kind of competition and it was me and Elizabeth actually and neither (laughs) neither one of us had ever done yoga and this yogi lady came in to work and they offered it in our lunch break and we're like yeah we'll go try it so I went and bought a yoga mat at Target and I walk in there and I'm in like pretty baggy clothes because I'm at work and there's dudes in there and they're in shorts and they're people I work with so that was kind of weird yeah And then I realized that you're getting into all of these strange formations where you're like asses up in the air. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When the men weren't there, I felt way more comfortable. It was all women. I think if I was going to go into yoga classes again, I would like to go somewhere where it's just all women. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. You guys grunt and sweat and I don't like you behind me when my ass is up in the air. It's just a weird (laughs) experience. I know the grunting and the sweating. I was thinking of the family cult. She ran a yoga studio. So got to be careful of those women leaders in some places. Right. The family was over in Australia. Yeah. And today we're going to be talking about yoga in the U.S. and kind of how it grew. And I think it was very cult-like here. And it was around the 70s. Like that's when it just kind of boomed. And now it's a huge industry to this day. Oh, yeah. Huge. So when we think of yoga today, we think about getting to like a space of Zen, about balance, perhaps enlightenment for some people. It's all Mm -hmm. about like internal breathing, stress relief to me, right? When I think of yoga. Yeah. Stretching. It's about listening to your body, feeling it, giving it the movement that it needs in a healthy way, stretching exactly like flexibility. Right. Peaceful. Yeah. Healing. Some of the yoga I've done over the years was that way. It was something you did at the end of the day to kind of help you get ready for sleep, stretch your muscles and bring you to a different mindset. See, I've never been able to get to that part because every time I've attempted to do yoga, it just hurts me. Because part of the issue is... It requires use of your wrists a lot. Yeah. And I have bad wrists. I've had surgery on my wrist. And so I haven't been able to find one that doesn't require like all the pressure on your wrist. Right. Even just downward dog hurts my wrist sometimes. Although they say the more you do it, you build up the strength. The whole point of yoga and where it came from in India is the start of it all. It was supposed to be a way to cure your body of anything. That's why I want to do it. I know that I need to build strength in these areas. That's why I'm trying to incorporate my daughter because she went to this preschool and that was part of their daily thing. So she's actually done way more yoga than Mm -hmm. I have. I know someone who does it personally every single day and he swears by it. I just want to get to that point. I'm like, well, if you with your stature and like your weight can handle this and it really improves things for you, it has to help me. So I just want to get past the hurdle of the hurting part to the flexibility and the calmness of it. I'll do like a meditation when I'm going to sleep sometimes and you Mm -hmm. breathe and you feel every part of your body. And that is 
really helpful for me to yeah. ease everything. So just that part I know works. It's the physical part of yoga that I have to get past. So that's the yoga I have known and most of us know today. But Bikram yoga is quite different. In fact, I would say that it is extreme yoga. Oh, it's sex, isn't it? No, there is sex involved in the story, but oh. not with the yoga. <laughs> I'm calling it the Bikram yoga cult. Some of you will probably not like that description, but I'll tell you why. I mean, we're bringing this full circle because you brought this up in the yes. family cult a long time ago. And I said I wanted to do this episode and yeah. I've been waiting to. And <laughs> it's my first foray into cult life. <laughs> You've already done a couple of cults. I haven't yeah. done one. I know some of you will be like, this isn't really a cult, Kendra, but Yes, it is. I think it is. Millions of people were drawn to Bikram yoga. Hollywood actors, superstar musicians, presidents, NFL players, dancers, doctors, moms, dads, you name it. And they will all say this form of yoga, despite the intensity and the suffering involved, changed their life. Okay. You just have to try it, endure it, and you will be absolutely hooked and you will have no more pain. There was all of these, to me, sounds like unbelievable claims, but I watched several documentaries about this and these people were saying the reason they came back every single time is because it cured them of like scoliosis pain, lower back pain, things that they had been dealing with their whole lives. Bikram yoga was the only thing that ever cured it for them. Hmm. I know we will get some comments that Bikram yoga is not a cult, but I wanted to bring up the definition of a cult. Yeah. (laughs) So cult is a term for a relatively small group, which is typically led by a charismatic and self-appointed leader who tightly controls its members, requiring unwavering devotion to a set of beliefs and practices, which are considered deviant. And deviant means just outside the norms of society, Mm -hmm. not necessarily super creepy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think based on that definition, Bikram Chowdhury and the Bikram yoga following that he built definitely fits into a cult. Based on that definition, your job is a cult, probably. (laughs) A lot of places have this cult life structure. It's true. And that's why there's whole podcasts that just talk about cults because there are so many. And, you know, some people will even say like following a musician, like they call the Swifties from Taylor Swift a cult. And I kind of is if you think uh, about it. Yeah, I see that. They have their own rituals that are, you know, considered weird from the outside. I'm sorry, but I'm never going to follow a celebrity in any way like that in any shape or form ever. You're just a human being. Some of these obsessions are a little cuckoo for me. There's always a dark side to Mm -hmm. anything to me that has this fanatical following. And that's what I want to get into now. So let's talk about this charismatic and self-appointed leader. His name is Bikram Chowdhury. Not Chowder. And some people will say Bikram. I watched a lot of documentaries and I heard him talk about himself and he always said Bikram. So that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Okay. So I want to start by telling the background tale of Bikram in the way that he tells it. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Later on, I will poke holes in his origin story because it's not quite as tall of a tale as he likes to tell it. But if you're building an empire and you want to be a messiah-like figure, you have to have a pretty cool background story, right? I mean, that's just like Anne with the family cult. She created her own history there. And Bikram did the same. So I'm going to tell you Bikram's history, what he brought, Mm. how he built his following. This is how he got people sucked in. And then we'll go through what really happened. Okay. So Bikram Chowdhury was born in Calcutta, India in 1944. He claims that he began studying yoga under Bishnu Sharan Ghosh at the young age of six years old. Now, Bishnu Ghosh is a legend in his own right. He was the younger brother of Paramahansa Yogananda. 
Yogananda was the first superstar guru of the 20th century. He wrote the best-selling and groundbreaking book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Yeah, that's what Anne required her followers to read. So this was a book that was read by pretty much anyone with any interest in yoga or even Eastern religion in the 1970s. By connecting himself with Ghosh, Bikram gave himself authenticity. As he tells it, he was out playing ball with his friends in the neighborhood. Once again, he was six years old. (laughs) He chased a ball into the alleyway, and this is where he saw a group of young boys like teenagers practicing different yoga postures outside of Gosha's school of yoga. <laughs> this is straight from a movie scene, I swear. <laughs> a lot of what Bikram says. Maybe he was picturing a movie being made of his life when he <laughs> wrote his tale. So he said to Gosh, I can do that better than them. <laughs> okay. And Ghosh said, okay, come show me. And he was so impressed that he told Bikram to come see him the next day. And Bikram automatically became the best student that Ghosh had ever had. Oh, wow. In fact, he won the National India Yoga Championship for three consecutive years, beginning at age 11 until 13. And then the National Championship of Yoga told him that he could no longer compete because others needed to have a chance at winning. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I didn't realize you can compete in (laughs) yoga, but okay. Maybe in India. Okay. He says it was because of him winning three years in a row that they changed the rules and said for all future competitions, champions could only win for one year. No more Bikrams allowed. I was listening to an interview. This guy loves to talk. We'll talk more about that. Mm, I never Narcissistic. Never shuts up. And he was like, yeah, everyone in India was like, if Bikram's there, why do we even bother? (laughs) (laughs) He's so amazing. After he was unable to compete in yoga, he decided to take up an interest in weightlifting. Once again, he was amazing at weightlifting. In fact, he rose and broke all kinds of records in India, and they asked him to join the Olympic team. That's quite a claim. It was pretty awesome. So he said, unfortunately, right before he was set to compete in the 1964 Tokyo Olympics, a tragedy happened. He said if it wasn't for this accident, he was 110% sure he would have won the gold medal. While he was training, the spotter that holds the barbell slipped and dropped a 465-pound weight on his leg, and it crushed his knee. 465 pounds? On his knee? And he still continued to do yoga? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. So he said (laughs) his leg was completely crushed. He said it was shattered. It was like dust. This is his interview. Okay. And he said the doctors told him that he would never walk again and that they should amputate the leg. But Bikram instead went to his yogi guru, Ghosh, and said, what can you do for me? And Ghosh told him, come to me 8 to 12 hours a day and we will get you cured. He claims that he did that. And within six months, his leg was completely cured. Because dust turns back into bone when you work it for 12 hours. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Okay. I'm just telling you what he... I mean, I'd believe it if it was like a Doctor Strange episode, but I don't think this is what's (laughs) happening. We'll talk about Bikram. I'll psychoanalyze him. I think he truly believes everything he says. You can argue with that, that that's why he has what he has. He believes in himself. The power of assumption and all of that can go into him being successful. Doesn't mean he's a good person. I don't know. I I mean, why are we talking about him? Obviously, there's something else going on. Not the greatest person. (laughs) He's going to build a cult. Netflix teaches you how to build a cult. (laughs) I've never watched that, but I keep seeing it when I go on there. Oh, is there one called How to Build a Cult? It's like How to Become a Cult Leader or something. (laughs) 
awesome. <laughs> I haven't watched it. We should watch it. Who know. wakes up and aspires to be a cult leader? I think there are people who probably do. Yes, people like this, people who are like, wow, I am the most amazing person in the world and people should follow me. And they also feel like it will be a way that they can have money. And most of that will fit Bikram and probably every cult leader out there. They're looking for acceptance, maybe, and money and fame. There are some so. people who really just feel like I can trick anyone into anything and I'm going to use it to my advantage. They've always been called snake oil salesmen back in the day. Right. They've yeah. been around since the dawn of time. And Bikram is here doing his thing. <laughs> After his leg was healed, he said he promised his guru, Ghosh, that he would make it his life's mission to spread yoga all over the world and help cure others with hurt knees, legs, arms, whatever was ailing them. He knew that yoga could cure it. Only if only. I wish this was true. <laughs> Does it cure cancer? Probably not. Probably helps towards it. I think yoga has a lot of good things. So mm -hmm. I want to make sure everyone knows. That's why I wanted to talk about yoga before I got into this. I am not against yoga. No. I am not even against what Bikram will bring to the world and a lot of people still do today mm -hmm. because he brought a great exercise regiment to people that is changing their lives. What I am going to be talking about is Bikram himself because he's not a good guy and he did a lot of bad things. Yeah. You're abusing your power, taking advantage of people. People yes. are compromising their own morals yes. and stuff because of a leader. And just because something changes your life, whether it be religion, yoga, anything like that, doesn't mean you have to give your unwavering devotion to the person. No, because they're not the person you're supposed to be giving it to if you're paying attention to your religion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and same thing here with the yoga. So anyways, he was out in the world. That was his life's mission. He also said that this was the moment when he began to reinvent yoga. And this moment of invention is the part of the story that made him a legend to his eventual followers. You see, the way yoga was taught in India is that the gurus would take on one student at a time. They never usually had more than about five to six. Oh, he started the class? Yes. Oh. Bikram broke away from that. He said, I wanted to find a way to teach thousands of of people at one time. Whoa. So okay. he decided to standardize his class because in India, it would be catered to a specific person and their body and pushing them, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like that makes any, sense. Whereas he was like, I'm going to standardize this class. I'm going to teach the same set of series of the same postures to everyone. And there will be no compromise. Everybody does the same thing no matter mm, what. Okay. I'm so used to the class version. I really never thought about the yogi version the way it began. Exactly. Remember, I didn't go into all of the origins of yoga because that would have taken too much time and I have too much about Bikram, but like it was started as a very spiritual practice yes. by the monks. Yeah. It was not something that they ever saw like a bunch of suburban moms in stretchy <laughs> pants. Oh my gosh. Doing. So Bikram, yes, he was the one that really started bringing the classes to the U.S. I have a quote from Bikram that I want to read right now. He said, I don't know your name. I don't know which kind of problem you have. I don't know anything. I don't need to know. You come to my class. You go through 26 posture sequence, two breathing exercises. I will go through bone to the skin, hair to the toes, top to bottom, inside out, clockwise, anti-clockwise, 360 degree angle, each and every internal organ. I will activate, re-energize, revitalize, and reorganize. <laughs> reorganize. <laughs> that sounds painful, but <laughs> yeah. You're reborn. Yes. <laughs> it was a one size fits all approach and it was revolutionary. So he does deserve some credit for coming up I with mean, this. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to discredit that. But it Doesn't is mean not made one for all because 
Some bodies can't do these. We're going to get into all of this. What did I say in the beginning? The definition of a cult is when the leader requires unwavering devotion to whatever. This is going to be Bikram's style. Okay. And he's going to be a real asshole about it. So if you say, I can't stretch into that pose, he's going to be like, fuck you. Yes, you can. And push people. Yeah. First, he started taking the sequence around India. And then he traveled to Japan. He was just 26 years old when he arrived in Tokyo in 1970. When he was asking his students to do some of these postures, their body physically couldn't do it because it wasn't as warm as it was in India. And that's where he came up with the idea of hot yoga. And so he brought heaters into the yoga room to recreate the conditions of Calcutta. And then that would make it easier for his Japanese students to stretch into the forms that they needed to. Which makes sense. He brings it up in one of the interviews I saw. He was talking about like a blacksmith. He's like, if you have steel, it doesn't bend until you heat it up. And Mm, in his mm -hmm. mind, it was the same thing with the human body. And it worked. Japan flocked to this new style of yoga. But Bikram was very ambitious and he didn't want to stay just in Japan. After all, he wanted to take this around the world. And his main focus was getting to America. I feel sorry for everyone whose main focus was that. (laughs) He grew up very poor in Calcutta, like the American dream that was sold to a lot of people in other countries. And let me make this clear. I'm very aware of our privilege Privilege. being here. Yes. I know that. But we've been lied to our entire lives. And only now are most of us waking up to what our actual history is. And that's why I talk crap about America a lot. But I'm very aware of my privilege being here right now. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm aware of that. And I will say that I love my country. I love what it could be, I guess I should say. Not that I love it in its current state. Because I think there is things we can learn from our past and we could build and make up for some of the past transgressions that have occurred here. And we have all of these people here. If we could just work together, I think there would be a way to make this a great country. But I just feel like... Only with a revolution. We're not going to get there in our current state. Everyone in power, no, not a single one of them can stay. I was watching this woman from the UK talk about her experience in America actually living here and she was letting the world know, hey, actually, it's really fucking shitty for everyone here. And she explained everything when it came to the food, the healthcare, all this stuff. And another thing she mentioned is so true. She said the reason we never leave this country is because this country is so big. Yeah. If you compare it to Europe. Oh, absolutely. This is an entire continent essentially. And so we can go to another state and that state's going to be completely different than everything else we've been to. Right. Whether it's the culture itself, the language, how people treat each other. Some of them are racist, you know, so we already have all of that to deal with here in America to have the revolution that we would need to have. It's like having 30 European countries in one little area that are supposed to come together and have the same feelings. And that's really difficult. So Maybe that's what's going to happen. I foresee that. Like if I could predict the future, I think the U.S. will split off kind of like what we saw with the Soviet Union. Like what we were talking about in the butterfly butterfly effect, (laughs) how it might actually end up becoming two things or multiple things. Anyway, moving on. Bikram. In the 1970s, America was the place to come to. And so from Japan, he hopped a flight to Hawaii. And this was 1971. And this is where his next innovation emerged. And that was getting close to famous people. Oh. So he claims while in Hawaii, his first student was Elvis Presley. He needed help back then. Yeah, I guess. This is a 70s. So he, he was, I, I think he hurting. was at the point where he needed 
Yes. And word started getting around about Bikram and his talents. And he said in 1972, on the 4th of July, he was asked to come and see Richard Nixon, who was president at the time. I can't picture him doing yoga. So Richard Nixon was suffering from phlebitis thrombosis in his leg. And the doctors were telling him that they would need to amputate his leg. Oh. So Bikram shows up and he said within four days after giving Nixon yoga treatment and some other kind that I didn't write down that involved him being in the bathtub. That sounded kind of weird. I didn't want (laughs) to think about Nixon in the bathtub with Bikram. Anyways, (laughs) he said after four days, he asked Nixon, which leg was the one that was bothering you? And Nixon said, I don't remember. I feel so great. He couldn't tell which leg had even hurt to begin with. Yeah. Mm. You're not going to forget which one was about to be chopped off. And then Bikram said that Nixon was so thankful for how he was healed that he gave Bikram a green card to come to America. He never even had to apply or ask for one. Oh, okay. So that's the story Bikram, all of what I just said, was telling when he arrived in California. And how is anyone going to verify any of this? Correct. And also, he came in, he was a very good looking man in his 20s. He's five foot six, and the guy is ripped. Like, I'll put pictures up. When you see someone in amazing physical shape, and he tells you all these stories, and he's from India, and he's speaking with an accent, and he seems so well versed, it's very easy to believe him. Oh, he was shorter. Yeah, he's a little guy. Most yogis are, actually. Hmm. And like I said, the guy never shut up and he could like spin (laughs) a yarn really quick. So he came across really convincing. Yeah. Very charismatic. Right. And I can see this when I look at his younger interviews. He's smiling. He's kind. He just seems like this exuberant person that could maybe cure whatever was bothering you. When you see somebody in perfect physical shape, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I want to look like that guy. Yeah. So he opened his first very small studio in the North Beach neighborhood of San Francisco. But San Francisco wasn't enough for him. For the type of fame he was seeking, he really needed to make it in L.A. Yeah. So in 1973, just two years later, he opened the Yoga College of India in Beverly Hills. Now, the 1970s was what one historian referred to as the me decade. It was a (laughs) collective movement of Americans turning their focus on themselves, Mm -hmm. both on the inside and the outside. It was all about like, what makes me feel good? How do I connect spiritually? And of course, LA is always kind of, I think all of us in America know, like that's the place where all of these kinds of things would take hold first. Mm Mm-hmm. And fitness was an everyday obsession because it was all about how you looked. And it still is to this day. Yeah. I could not live in Southern California. No. Because I'm a troll. (laughs) (laughs) I love to visit the area just because I have family there. I'm definitely a Northern California person if I would have to live in California. Yeah, I could live in San Francisco all day. But L.A., it's just too... Oh, never L.A. Materialistic. That that, that is the only place. Yeah. It's really just like the desert with some palm trees and a bunch of people who look at each other and judge Judge. them. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need that. So I want to say a quote from one of the podcasts I listen to. I would highly recommend if you want to know more about Bikram. It's the 30 by 30 podcast by ESPN. They did an amazing job on this story. They said anybody with a fresh idea who said they could answer the questions that were troubling you could attract a following with the right delivery system, the right charisma and the right message. You could attract anyone in L.A. And it was the perfect place for Bikram. 
Bikram was handsome in a clean cut kind of way. His hair was well coiffed, had like the deep side part in the style of the day. He had a sweet, innocent looking face and he was incredibly fit and he liked to show it off. He (laughs) would show up to his classes only wearing a black Speedo. Oh my God. Guiding his classes. Wow. And even he would appear. I watched all of these interviews he did back in the 70s. Like the Merv Griffiths show was like the big thing back then. Johnny Carson. He would show up on all of those shows in, the in a black speedo. Okay. And this is one of the most famous things about Bikram. Even into his 70s, he still shows up in just a black speedo, which wow. you don't want to see oh. when you're in your 60s and 70s. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Unless you're really, really fit still. <laughs> I mean, he is really fit still for 60 or 70, but things I are mean, sagging really, at that it's, point. It's just the package. I don't want to see things. Yeah. All I think about is it all folded up and like in a jumble. It's not attractive. And he goes on these shows in this black Speedo and it's like a skimpy black Speedo. Don't worry. I'm going to post pictures for all of us to enjoy. <laughs> and he's like performing yoga on these shows and he's like bending over, kicking his legs back. And, and exactly. That's my thought. It? I'm like, uh, yeah, I just gave her a really gross look. <laughs> Ew. I don't want to see that. So those attending his classes say he was charming. He was entertaining. He would tell jokes while he was like watching them suffer. He would say things like... <laughs> watching them suffer. <laughs> he would. He'd yeah. be like, I'm here to kill you. He would sing little songs to them about... You just said that so blase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to kill you. Well, he would say it like that. He'd be like, you are here. You paid me money for me to kill you. Like, And, oh. and he doesn't speak perfect English because okay. he's from India. And so the way that he says things, you'd have to listen it does kind of just make you laugh he'll say things like you're in an Indian marriage now no choice you stay (laughs) (laughs) okay so a lot of people liked that he was also known for being very blunt very truthful and if you showed up and you were out of shape he would call you out in front of the whole class and be like suck that gut in I don't like to see it flapping like he would just say stuff and people would be like okay I don't want to be that person so they would keep coming so that they want to be bullied and There was a story when I was watching the documentary on Netflix of this man who was severely overweight. He was like 300 and something pounds. He said he couldn't lose the weight he had been trying. And Bikram yoga was the thing that finally got him into shape. And he was in very, very good shape when he was doing the interview. He's now a yoga teacher. And he talks about going to his first class and Bikram coming up to him and saying, I don't like to see your jiggle jiggle, fat boy. And he said, jiggle jiggle. (laughs) What's that song? (laughs) I don't know. That's funny. came in. But he said that he needed that tough love. And you'll hear yeah. that from a lot of them. I mean, is I that, get it. I don't know. I, I do get it. It's it's a personality thing some people need for someone else to tell them what to do for them to do it. So that was his style and he was known for it. But they said there was always this like paradox to him because he could be really mean to you. And then at the end, he would say, good job. They just said he pushed you to be better. And that's what they liked about him. And his attitude was infectious. And he would make claims to anyone who would come to his class that he could cure whatever ailed them. There was nothing that yoga could not cure. Until it kills you. He did say he was going to. I know. (laughs) So celebrities were drawn to this new trend. It's in Beverly Hills. A member of the class that was on the documentary described showing up to the studio in the 70s. And he remembered having yoga class next to Raquel Welch. Quincy Jones, Martin Sheen, and Candace Bergen. Basically, they were the big stars of the day. Some of you guys probably don't even know who they are now. (laughs) 
But Bikram was smart, and he knew that getting close to celebrities was a sure way to success. He was invited on the Merv Griffin show, Johnny Carson, all of the big talk show circuits. And on one of the interviews, he talks about how Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of his students. And although he may be one of the greatest athletes in the world, in his class, he was the absolute worst. I mean, I can imagine that. <laughs> He's, He's not a very big flexible. guy. Yeah. yeah. According to Bikram, he didn't pay attention to celebrity and who was coming. Once you were in his class, you were all the same and you would all be treated the same way by him. Hmm. Okay. One of the most important celebrities that really helped Bikram get started was Shirley MacLaine. She was one of his first students when he came to Beverly Hills, and she's the one that really helped him begin to monetize his yoga and market it to America and specifically celebrities. According to one of his students, Jimmy Barkin, he said, when Bikram first came to the United States, he was very naive. He was very sweet, passionate, and childlike. He didn't even charge people for classes. He would host the class and then ask for people to leave a little donation under his chair at the end of the night. And Shirley McLean came to him and said, no, you're in America now. You can really make money. <laughs> Capitalize on And this. so she kind of took him under her wing and showed him what I you mean, could do in did, America. How did he have a space if he wasn't charging anybody anything? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe he was doing it on the street. It was street yoga. Okay. <laughs> I think he had made money in Japan enough to come and open his first studio. Okay. He had to have made it somehow to keep yeah, opening like, the studio. Yeah, and like you don't just get a... It was the 70s where you could get a space for like $100 probably. Now it's eight grand. Right. So Hollywood loved Bikram, especially as he seemed to be the trope that they all loved, which is that rags to riches story, this poor little boy from Calcutta, India, over here living the American dream. And they all bought into it and started supporting him and really built him up. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about the actual class. I mentioned in the intro that it was grueling 90 minutes. I want to talk about some of the descriptions of the people who showed up. They said the room was about 25 by 40 and it was completely carpeted in a oh. really ugly, ugly pink green color. Lots of yummy sweat going into that. <laughs> And that's what they said. The first thing you noticed when you walked in is how fucking hot it was. And the second thing you noticed is how much it smelled. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Ew, gross. I would just vomit probably instantly. They said, you know, yoga mats hadn't been invented at this time. So they're all just sweating into the nasty pink carpet. And it's not being cleaned in between classes. A lot so. of people got a lot of body acne. <laughs> <laughs> they're laying on the floor too. Like gross. <laughs> I, I'm kind of semi-dermaphobe. Like yeah. I think as soon as I walked in, I'd be like, nope. <laughs> I know. I'm out. Yeah. There was a whole row of mirrors, just like, you know, you would see in a, a yoga studio. room now. Yeah, yeah. Or a dance studio. And then at the front of the room would be the reason that you were really there. And that was Bikram Chowdhury standing there in his black Speedo. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it would last 90 minutes. You would go through the 26 poses. For the first 45 minutes, you would go through half of the poses. And then you would have a little break in the middle where you would lay down on that sweat-filled floor. Mm, yum. And relax a little bit before you would then get up and do another 45 minutes of work. And watching the documentary and hearing people talk about their first class, every single one of them said, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. But if you leave, you can't come back in. Oh. He's very, very strict about it. Hmm. You're supposed to just persevere, push through, trust the process, which trust the process is going to come up a lot in this. Just do it. It was all about like breaking down what you think you could do. And then when people would make it through, they felt like they had conquered the world. Oh, it's also an MLM. <laughs> it is an MLM. We're going to go into that. <laughs> Don't you worry. It's all of it. 
I'm allowed to talk about MLMs because I was part of them. <laughs> just FYI. I'm not just one of those girls that was like, oh, Stacy got into an MLM and I don't understand. I was a part of them as well. So I've been <laughs> on both sides. So you know the mindset and it's like... I do. And this is also a cult thing because you break somebody down where they think they're going to die and then they don't and then they feel better than yeah, ever. Yeah, you proved it and, to them. And yeah. then they think he's... God. The Messiah. Yeah. So Jason Bateman and Justine <laughs> Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. That was a great transition. I, I was not expecting his name to come out of your mouth in this episode. That's so funny. <laughs> well, so Jason and Justine Bateman were Hollywood elite. You know, they were both child actors. And Justine was on Family Ties, if you guys remember that show back in the day. And they actually went to Bikram classes with their father. Oh, wow. And Justine Bateman was in one of these documentaries I listened to and I want to read one of her quotes because I think it's funny. So Justine said she went to this with her father and she walked in and she said Bikram would sit on his little cushion. It was like a little throne. And she said he was up there in the mirror and there was me and my brother and there were a few other kids that were in there too. And you would get picked to come give him a little shoulder massage while everybody was getting settled in. So that always felt like a nice thing to get picked to do. Oh, okay. Like, oh, it's your turn to go up and give his shoulders a little massage. I just remember him being really attentive to each person. He really seemed to care about people reaching their yoga goals. I bring this up because he started with young kids and it was cute. You know, come give me a massage. But this is going to lead to some things later on. Because Bikram is going to feel like he deserves some kind of attention. And his head's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. What did you say on another episode? Small guy syndrome or little guy guy (laughs) syndrome? Why? So he continued to build up this following. It was going to his head. He began to take on the American dream really embodied things in a very un-yogi-like way. He began accumulating cars with the wealth he was receiving from his successful yoga studios, but not just any cars. He bought the last limousine that Howard Hughes had. The car even had a (laughs) toilet inside. (laughs) What? Howard Hughes is a weird guy. Yeah, you could probably do an episode on him too. The obsession with cars and wealth was taking over Bikram. He became very materialistic. And some people thought that this had ties back to growing up in India. And the Maharajas in India used to collect Rolls Royces and race them. And it was a big part of that. And so Bikram started buying Rolls Royces as well. And a lot of people say Bikram felt like he was now on the same level as the Maharajas. Raja. Okay. And that would be important to him because not only did he want to build up a following, he still had this like deep seated, it's probably an insecurity thing. We can psychoanalyze, as we know, most narcissists are very insecure. He still wanted to prove himself to be an authentic yogi back in India. Oh. So even though he's famous in America and all of this, if he went back to India, they'd be like, you're shit. (laughs) Yeah. Because they know the truth. Yeah. So when he had first arrived in the U.S., Bikram had been cautious about claiming too much credit for the yoga he was teaching. But as he became famous and it all went to his head, he began to want to take on more credit for things. He wanted to write a book, but he couldn't write or read English very well. So he reached out to one of his loyal students, Bonnie Jones Reynolds, and she wrote the book for him, basically. And it was his entire class in a book. There was every 26 of his posture shown in a photograph with various celebrities 
performing the postures. Oh, okay. When he published the book in 1978, it was titled Bikram's Beginning Yoga Class. And he changed the name Yoga College of India to officially become Bikram's Yoga College of India. So he started wanting to take credit and saying mm. he created, yeah. which we're going to also okay. talk about. Did he really create these postures? Uh, yeah. He's okay. telling everyone in America that he came up with all of this on his own. Okay. But he saw that insecurity and he wanted to be taken seriously back in India. It's now 1984 and Bikram is turning 40. I mean, he can't go back to India and say, I created these. Because they're going to say, they know. fuck off. <laughs> and one of the investigative journalists will go visit his hometown and I get to talk about that in a little bit. Okay. So I'll tease it. But he needed to somehow secure himself as authentic. And the best way to do this was to build a legacy and to have a family. So he's 40 years old now. He's been living the American dream. He had an American girlfriend. Her name was Rika. She was living with him. But when he wanted to actually start a family, he felt like he needed to get an Indian bride. Oh, Bye, Rika. Just like that. Well, let me tell you about his character. So he took a trip to Calcutta. Rika's just, you know, living in their apartment, has no idea. He's in India and he goes to the yoga championship. Oh, so there is a competition for it. <laughs> there is. Okay. And he sees a 19-year-old girl and she's competing and she wins. She's the champion of it. And he tells his friend, who happens to be her guru trainer, and he says, I want to marry this girl. Make it happen. Her name was Rajashri Chakravarti. But no one told Bikram's girlfriend that he was over in India wow. looking for a wife. And I don't know how it works over there, yeah. but Rajashri somehow was promised to... Bikram. And he came back from that trip with a wife and said, hi, Rika, I have a wife now. Move out of the apartment. Oh, wow. That's okay. how he did it. Okay. Narcissistic practices. I don't know what else to say about well, that. Well, he's removed from being attached to Rika at all. Yes. <laughs> to things, I guess, other than himself. Well, and he wanted Rajashree because she gave him authenticity because now he had the yeah. yoga champion. He already claimed he was a yoga champion. And now his wife was one. His wife actually was one for sure. Yeah. And then they're going to have kids together and he gets to create this whole lineage of little yogis. Wow. The new marriage made sense. For Rajashree, it was a promise of a good life in America. So I yeah. could see why. She's like, okay, sure. And in Indian culture, it was not uncommon to marry a man 20 years older than you. Mm -hmm. It's pretty gross, actually. I saw an interview where both of them were on a show. And he's very obviously 40. He's like starting to bald at this point. He's still in the black Speedo. And Put some like, clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, you got married now. Let's bring your new wife out. And Rajashree comes out and she's gorgeous. She's 20. She's in a little like white leotard. And they're just so pervy towards her. I can't. Oh. It's And she's doing all of these poses and this little leotard with like her legs above her head. And they're just making really gross comments. And you can see her face when they say some things that she's like, I'm not okay with this, but she also is trapped and like she can't yeah. say anything. And I can only imagine what her life was like. Well, she was his little trophy. She was a trophy wife, yeah. for sure. So Bikram was building this yoga empire. Now he had his queen by his side. But being a part of Bikram's world had a dark side. He was very controlling. And if you wanted to be part of it, you had to play the game his way. Mm. Rajasri fell into line very easily. She seemed to understand that, but not everyone close to Bikram did. 
So I want to tell a quick story about Tony Sanchez. He was Bikram's star student in San Francisco. He thought he was building up to become the protege to Bikram. And when Bikram moved to L.A., he left Tony in charge of running the studio in San Francisco. Okay. But Tony noticed that all of the profits being made from San Francisco were going to this lavish lifestyle and buying all of these cars that Bikram wanted. Yeah. And Tony was not getting paid very much. He was getting paid like a very meager salary. And he was doing a lot of work and building up the following there. And he decided to approach Bikram about it because he thought they were friends. Uh Oh, So he approached him and he said, hey, would you be willing to sell me the studio so that I can run it in the way that makes sense? Because Bikram was very hands off at this point. Tony was doing all of the work and he thought he should reap more rewards than he was. Yeah. And with Bikram being his guru that he would understand. Bikram acted completely offended that he would even ask and he said how dare you ask me that you're breaking my heart and then on his birthday Tony said that Bikram showed up in San Francisco in his fancy Rolls Royce with his accountant and his new wife Rajashree and he walked into the studio and told Tony get all of your personal belongings you're fired and then he walked him out and said no hard feelings if you need anything just give me a call (laughs) And just like that, Bikram cast out the most loyal student that had been running all of this, making all this money for him in San Francisco because he dared to ask for a little bit more of a cut. Yeah. That just gives you an idea of Bikram and who he was as a character or gives you an idea of his character. Yeah. He is a character, too. (laughs) He followed that up by taking another of his longtime students to court. It was Raquel Welch, the actress that we all know. Oh, okay. She had been a Bikram student since his earliest days in Beverly Hills, and they were legitimately friends at one point. She would come over to his house. He would go to hers for dinner. And he bragged about her constantly because she was very, very famous. But in 1984, she put out a video called Raquel Welch's Total Fitness. Oh. Now, to be fair, it is flagrantly Bikram's yoga. Okay. She went through all of the same sequences, said a lot of the same things that he would say in his class, and he saw this as an opportunity. So instead of just having a conversation with her or something like that, he took her to court. He sued her for copyright infringement, and he won a lot of money. Nobody knows how much. The settlement was private, but we do know that he built a huge house in the Hollywood Hills afterwards. Okay. Over the next decade, they started a family in the house that they built by suing Raquel Welch. Bikram had spent much of the 70s and 80s building his little empire in Los Angeles. And his story could have ended there and it would have been a great feat. He made lots of money, but yoga was really starting to catch on in America. And Bikram saw an opportunity to capitalize on that. Yeah. He'd already built a strong name and there was a lot of opportunity for him to spread that. But in order to grow, he needed teachers. Yeah. And this is where we're going to go into cult territory. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) I get it. Bikram is going to launch a teacher training program. Uh Uh-oh. So this teacher training program was a way to mass produce teachers in a nine-week session. The first training was hosted in 1994. It was really small, only about 30 students. But by 2000, in just six years, this teacher training had taken off. He was doing two trainings a year, and he would get hundreds of students, around 400 at each training. The excitement of going to teacher training was real. It was seen as an honor to be asked to go. And also, the way that the Bikram world worked, it was the only way that you could perhaps one day open your own studio. You had to be officially certified through the Bikram training program. So these are studios now that aren't directly related to him, though. Right. Or they they all have his name on. them. Oh, okay. So he was trying to build an empire. And the best way to do that would be to get these students that Mm -hmm. were sucked in, many of them being very young women to come to these teacher trainings. 
Now to get into teacher training, it didn't take that much, really. You needed to be at least 21 years old. You had to be able to pay the hefty tuition. Tuition at the time would go anywhere from $10,000 to $16,000 wow. a student. Okay. And then you had to have a letter from a studio owner vouching for your dedication to the practice. Studio owners would look at their students and they would see who they thought might be a good candidate or whatever. And a lot of these young girls started getting sucked in and they're like, yes, I could own my own studio. They saw it as a way to like build up Mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial venture of their own. Sure. Once you were accepted into the program, you would receive a copy of the dialogue. The dialogue is the script to a Bikram yoga class that you needed to memorize in order to be certified as a teacher. They also got a welcome packet, and I want to read what the welcome packet says because, to me, this just sounds like a cult. Okay, let's hear it. The most important thing is to listen to Bikram. Don't judge, label, or argue. Just listen. Mm -hmm. Consider everything he says. Mm -hmm. Hold back judgment, expectation, and even questions. Most will get answered by the process. Okay. Avoid getting involved in anything that can distract your attention from the training. And from Bikram. These things include family, job, relationship, other people's dramas, including and especially your fellow trainees and the outside world. Okay. Yeah. Just trust the process. Trust the process. <laughs> trust. Now that's said in absolutely everything. Yes. I read this and I was like, this sounds just like a cult. They're like, don't think about your family. Don't think about your job. The only thing that matters is Bikram. Absolute obedience. Don't question him don't judge him. So while he started out as just a yoga guy, when he started these teacher trainings, that's when this whole cult-like following really started. And to be accepted in the training, they had built it up so much that it was like this honor to get to go and meet Bikram because at this point, he's in his 50s and he's not teaching classes anymore. So the only way you would ever meet Bikram, the guru that everyone has talked about, is to be accepted and go to one of these teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. So originally when they were smaller, the teaching trainings were held at his studio in LA, but because they had blown up so much, they were now set up in large hotels and resorts instead. One of the main places was the Las Vegas Hilton. When you attended this, everyone stayed at the hotel, the students, the staff. The hotel basically became a little town and your home for the next nine weeks. And Bikram would be in attendance running the show from his penthouse suite. Of course. On day one of the training, Rajashree would get up there to talk to all of the trainees and she would say, the following. We are your family now. <laughs> yep. This is definitely just like every MLM <laughs> I've been to and, and like any conference I've gone to. They said everybody was so easily sucked into that because Rajashree, you had Bikram, you had like two yin and yang kind of. So you had, she was the soft side. Exactly. You had yeah. Bikram who was like the hard truth teller that would say you're a fat ass. And then you had Rajashree that was the spiritual yogi. And she was like, She's, we're your family. We're here to support you. We want to see you grow. Mama. Yes. Yeah. And she played that part very well in a way. I think she was probably sucked in. She was a victim of Bikram as well, but she like bought into it and started selling it because it benefited her. Yeah. She was plucked out of India and came over here and had this lavish life. I mean, why wouldn't she? Yeah. So they said if this was a family, like Rajashree said, she was the mom. She was there to make the trainees feel at home, to really start building a sense of community. A lot of people even credit her with coming up with the original idea for teacher training in the first place. She had been designated by that point as vice president of Bikram Yoga, and her signature would be on all of the teacher training certificates. Mm, okay. So she would start it, kind of be the warm up, but everyone was really there to see the star of the show, which was Bikram himself. 
So there were quite a few rules that Bikram would announce when coming out to the first day of training. And those rules were no kissy kissy, no touchy touchy, no huggy huggy, no fucky fucky. What? (laughs) With each other? Because he thinks he's funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) No drinking, no smoking, no drugs. And his strictest rule was no green. Bikram hated the color green. Oh, I was like, what, marijuana? (laughs) Wait, <laughs> this is just weird. This okay. is also to me just screams cult because he's yeah. like, you can't wear green. If you show up in my class wearing green, you're kicked out of the training altogether. You cannot have a green water bottle. You cannot have a green backpack. You cannot have a green hat. So no green allowed that's because an, that insults him. That's an interesting color to hate. Isn't that associated with money? Yeah, I don't know why. There's no explanation why. Is he colorblind and he just doesn't like that shade? <laughs> I also think it's just a form of control Mm. to say, I hate the color of green. No one will wear the color of green. And then when nobody does, it makes you feel more powerful. What if you miss that first part and like (laughs) you show up the next day because you were late? (laughs) And you're in like an all green spandex outfit. And he's like, (gasps) I mean, it had to have happened that someone had green. They're like, did you tell us this before we came? Because that's my favorite color. And that's all that's in my That's all I got. (laughs) Or you're going to practice naked. He probably would be okay with that. He would. Because no. No kissy kissy, no touchy touchy, no No fucky fucky fucky. with each other. He doesn't follow those rules. So while at teacher training, they would be booked from early in the morning to late at night with classes, lectures and clinics. The schedule would go on for five days a week. The whole teacher training was about learning how to teach Bikram's classes, Bikram's way. And they would spend the bulk of their time just trying to learn and memorize Bikram's dialogue. How to be rude. They would say the exact same thing. It's very cult-like when you read it. They even had to say it in the way that he would because he wrote this dialogue and half of it's in like broken English because he's an Indian Uh, speaker. They would have to say it in the broken English way. Okay. And you had to get up in front of the room and repeat it. And Bikram would watch you. And if you fucked up in any way, he would chastise you in front of everyone. So you've got 400 of your peers. You're trying to prove yourself to your guru. And he would just come at you. So it was this very tense environment of feeling like you had to be perfect. Mm, such a long time. Nine weeks. Nine weeks is ridiculous. Yeah. Kind of makes sense on why it would have cost as much as it did because you have to pay yeah, for a hotel I was room thinking that long. About that that won't you think last about you it. anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I bet Bikram, I guess I'm going to tease it now. There's still teacher trainings going on today. I bet they cost $50,000 at this point. I don't oh, know. Wow. Okay. But if you think about it, he would have 400 students paying at least $10,000 each in that $4 million. Yeah. Now he wouldn't keep all of that money because some of it would have to be paid to the hotel, but he was making very good money from these teacher trainings. Yeah. In a couple of months, twice a year. He was doing them twice a year. And then at some point they were even more than that because he stopped going to them in person. He started sending other people. It was just became this MLM money making scheme. Yep, honestly, that's what it is. just crank out more teachers, yep. make more studios. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sure he made a video for them to watch. <laughs> you show up and they just pop in a VHS. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a close up of him and his Speedo. That's how package. it works. <laughs> yeah. They had cut out boards of him in the corners <laughs> so that people could at least take a picture with him. No touchy touchy though. So no matter where the teacher training was, whatever hotel, the yoga room looked the same. It was still that huge space. And by now they have yoga mats. Yep. But they're still in this huge carpeted room. They would have mirrors on the walls. And then there was a giant podium at the front. And there are pictures of this. I will put it on Instagram. He would pile up these cushions. So he was on a 
throne. He would be sitting up there at the front of the room like the fucking Maharaja (laughs) in his black Speedo. The room was heated to 105 degrees, but Bikram had his own personal air conditioner blowing on him the entire time. Oh, (laughs) okay. And he would call students up to massage him Mm. while he was speaking his dialogue, lording over. It looks fucking ridiculous when you see these pictures. This guy sitting up there with his package on display. Gross. With AC blowing on him while you're fucking dying in a room doing yoga for literally 10, 12 hours a day. And he's just hanging out yelling at you. And you were paying him a lot of $16,000. And he even says that. He sings them songs and he's like, you can leave whenever you want, but I still have have your money oh wow so he was just like this dick yeah (laughs) and sounds like it and he had just gotten worse and worse the older he got because his head just got bigger and bigger and bigger well and he had everything to prove for it now as well he had the house he had the cars so all the students crowded into this stinky carpeted room and they stood in row after row after row everyone would be wearing as little clothing as humanly possible because it's hot as fuck in there they were packed in super tight their mats were right next to each other so that all 400 of them could fit into a small room and from this large podium Bikram would be sitting there in his black speedo with his man bun Okay. And he always had a Rolex watch that was a signature of him at this point. Now I'll say man bun and he's now in his 50s and he has lost most of his hair on the front. Oh. So the only hair he has is in the back and it's very long and a lot of people refer to it as a skullet. Oh, okay. (laughs) He's pretty gross looking. Okay. (laughs) I don't feel bad making fun of this guy. He's disgusting. We haven't even gotten to the disgusting parts, but he's not good looking now and nobody wants to see this in a speed with his little skullet going on. So the rules in the teacher training were do not leave the room no matter what. If you leave the room, you leave the teacher training. You're done. What if you have to go to the bathroom? Women talked about this and men as well that were at the teacher training. There was one woman who said her period started. Oh my gosh. She had blood draining down her legs and she went to the room door and said I have to go take care of this and they said if you leave you forfeit your money and you're out of the program and so she continued practicing with period blood racing down her legs well that's fun and Benjamin Lohr who was the one who wrote the book Hellbent he said all of this is all happening and you get into this state where you're just semi-delirious because you've been in this hot room for hours after hours you can't pee you can't use the bathroom people had to have passed out he said you start hallucinating he said people could have died around him and he wouldn't have even known it and he also mentioned that it smelled so bad he said is this really happening he said that the woman next to him smelled like she had shit herself she might have and she might have yeah and they all said people were passing out people were peeing on their mats people were vomiting and you just kept going wow that's pretty fucked up yeah that's and Bikram sitting up there on his throne with AC and people are literally suffering in ways that cannot be healthy I don't care how good this yoga is for you you're locked into this room you paid him $16,000 to be here and he probably wouldn't even call 911 if somebody like passed out from a heart failure or anything like that I didn't read that anybody died in these trainings and I'm that's amazing yeah I guess they were all in pretty good health but they were doing this day in and day out for five days straight and then I guess they would have a little break for two days nine weeks in a row that's crazy I wouldn't last a second (laughs) I would have never signed up for this (laughs) 
No. But all of these trainees, many of them still worship this practice to this day. They said the suffering's what you came for. It's the backbone of training. It's what breaks you down so you can be rebuilt stronger. They also said it bonded you to your fellow trainees. So it made you really feel like this family, you were all in it together and nobody else outside of that group would understand it. They said they were physically and mentally drained and they would get a dinner break. But they said after the dinner break, they would return and that's when Bikram would come in and it was known as the evening lecture. And by lecture, they had no idea what was coming at them because Bigram liked to talk. And they said sometimes he would just come in and he would be talking about just random shit. Sometimes he would decide to just show a Bollywood movie. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure they liked those times. Probably they're like, <laughs> okay, I'll just lay here and watch a movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then he might talk after the movie. They said sometimes he would lecture into the wee hours of the morning. It would be like three o'clock in the morning and the guy's still talking. And they said his favorite lecture topic was Bikram himself. (laughs) Surprising. Janelle, one of the girls that was in the training said, he's constantly lecturing us about how he never lies. He never cheats. He's the most spiritual man in the world. He never steals. He also claims, and I saw this in an interview too, that he never sleeps. And he never eats. Oh. This is something that a lot of yogis from ancient times used to claim or monks. They would claim that they could live with no sustenance. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to, I guess, make that same claim. So supposedly he never sleeps. And he would always talk about his wife being lazy because she slept every night. (laughs) Okay. Benjamin Laura again said that he remembered a lecture where he was talking about how many orgasms he had had, (laughs) (laughs) how many orgasms his partner had had. And he would talk about being invited to edit scripts by various Hollywood directors and how he wrote scenes in all of these famous movies. And he's like, it really was just like whatever popped into his mind and he would just make up shit. And he was just like monologuing in front of everybody because he had their undivided attention and he just soaked it all in. It sounds manic (laughs) this man is crazy but then they said all of a sudden he would go from like rambling on about like his sex life and then he would go into some vision of what it means to be a person and the power of the individual really beautiful sentiments and that's when all of them would be sucked back in and be like this Mm. man has such a great purpose (laughs) and then he would sing to them and a lot of people said he had a beautiful singing voice I heard some of his singing I, I would not agree when someone is so full of themselves they all think they can sing really great that's kind of That's it's funny. like a thing i don't know what it is i'm gonna end this episode with him singing us a song just okay because i want you all we'll to see. experience the joy of bikram chowdhury singing okay so the student said that's the great paradox of bikram yoga it looks completely miserable and you feel like you're going to die but once again it has the potential to be totally life-changing and they felt like going to teacher training was just part of that and then they could take this to other people in the world so it's mlm cult this is the best thing ever and everybody needs to be a part of it hopefully they don't make people poop and pee and <laughs> have their period blood going down their legs and stuff like that but I want to talk a little bit more about how abusive Bikram Chowdhury was now already sounds it physically or verbally we already know he's verbally abusive I want to talk a little bit more about the verbal because he would save this for teacher training now he's not teaching classes Mm. anymore so when he had teacher training it was time for his like horrible whatever to come out and I bring Mm. this up because there will be court cases against him for some of the things he says oh wow I think I've said wow a lot in this episode (laughs) already it's a wow kind of story 
story. I didn't know any of this until I watched this documentary like six years ago. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't know any of this. I didn't know. I had heard of Bikram yoga, but I had no clue. Yeah, same. Had no clue. That's why I'm bringing it up to everybody here. Yeah. One of the students said, no one could identify and go after your weaknesses like Bikram. She said, I remember this one time he had an assistant that was helping him. She was already a teacher and he kept calling her fatty. He would say, hey, fatty, can you give me some milk? I don't know if he was referring to her boobs or something. Mm. Others said he would scream at people. And she said, why did I think this was okay? Yeah. And she said, you just go along with it because everybody's like, oh, that's just Bikram. That's his style. He's just honest. (laughs) And that was everybody's response. And they just accepted it. Bikram was basically like an alcoholic. You know, you're tiptoeing around him, always kind of on eggshells and always hoping that you're in favor of him because you don't want to get screamed at. (laughs) So you're never going to do anything to get screamed at. And when others do, you're just thankful that it's not you. Mm, Okay. And she said it was very cruel, but that was just part of it. That was just Bikram. You just accept it. And trust the process. Mm. Another person said, yeah, you know, he would call people a fat bitch or drug addict or whatever. But in general. Drug addict? (laughs) Okay. In general, he said, I never saw that person not thank him later. And that was key to his crazy behavior is that his approach allowed the masses to realize he was just telling the truth and that nobody else had told them that and they needed to hear it to really transform. Drug addict. Now, I mentioned earlier that he liked to have people come up and massage him. More detail on that. From the teacher training, they said there were at least two people always massaging him, one on each side, and then another one massaging his feet. Sometimes he would also call up people to brush his hair. Which is gross because when you see his hair. Yeah. It's like five little strands. Oh no. I was actually (laughs) picturing like this really long, luscious. stuff back there just he was bald on top I guess I was wrong (laughs) I don't mean to be mean about men losing their hair no it's a problem I'm laughing because Bikram Chowdhury is fucking ridiculous and he deserves to be laughed at so we laugh at bad people I'm gonna show Jessica a picture now oh no now I'm picturing like big trouble little China crap (laughs) (laughs) am I right that's a good okay I'm laughing (laughs) oh my god that guy is Bikram oh really (laughs) okay show me ah Gotcha. All right. I saw. (laughs) Weird. I don't even know how he pulled that up into a bun, but I don't know either. Fun detour. Don't worry. I'll I'll post some pictures. Many of those at the teacher training said that they noticed the women that were chosen to go up and massage him would always be the youngest, the prettiest. No dudes? No dudes were massaging him, only women. Okay. But they said for whatever reason, while they were there, that was just accepted. That was just Bikram. He got massages from young girls and they massaged his feet and they brushed his hair and that was that. Hmm. How do you like convince people that this is all okay? He's being horrible to people, telling them that they're like fat and drug addicts. And the one I haven't brought up yet, I may have it later, but I'll go ahead and talk about about it now there was one woman she was a black woman and he kept telling her that she wasn't doing poses right or whatever and he started calling her a bitch and at one point she was like that's enough like stop calling me a bitch and he was like you stupid black bitch get out of my room you'll never make it here and she ended up taking him to court for abuse and some other things because he kicked her out and didn't give her her money back good you gotta go after these assholes man you gotta call them out just because you're in there and it's supposedly accepted in the culture like if it doesn't feel good it's okay to be like and no, she dude. did pay you money so that was sorry. too far yeah yeah he was known as being very misogynistic racist he was everything these guys always are and he would find that and say that to people. People were saying, yeah, he was a little eccentric. They thought it was weird, but they never thought more about the fact that he had all these girls massaging him. What's happening not in front of the classroom? 
Right. But they said, you know, women were always lining up. They wanted to be chosen. There were women described in almost like a harem, chasing him around and acting ridiculous, hoping to be the one to go up and massage him and brush his hair. So that's what they saw. They thought these women were all willingly going up there. So what's the harm? They're all over 21, right? I'm not going to say anything yet. So after every nine week session, hundreds of students would graduate and they would have survived this horrible teacher training. And then they would be given the chance to then go out and open their own studio with Bikram Chowdhury's stamp of approval. Do they have to pay to open the studio though? Or does he? Yes, they pay for everything. But you can't open a studio unless you have this seal of approval from Bikram. Do they get to name it what they want? No, it has to be named Bikram. And this is a great segue because we're about to go into what it is like to open a studio. All right. So franchises, but not really. No, he didn't do franchising, which is really interesting. So teacher training, like I said, he had 400 students. He was making at least $8 million a year, year after year after year. Just for the training. And then they would go open studios in his name. So it would just keep spreading. And how he made his money is every time studios would open, then the studio owners would pull out more teacher training candidates and Uh. send them to training. So training was really where his moneymaker was. And it's where he thrived because he got to live in his little penthouse world and abuse people. people. That's what he wanted to do. You said it's still happening. He's still abusing people at 80 because he was born 79 now. Ugh. So he didn't actually franchise, which a lot of people are surprised as much of a money maker as he seemed to be. Mm-hmm. He didn't require anybody to give him franchise fees to open studios, but he did require if they opened a studio, it had to have his name on it and they had to use his exact dialogue that they had been taught. But I don't see that there was any way that he was going out and checking to see if they were even following it. Oh, OK. Like there was no standard set. It's really weird, like as good of a business person as he claimed to be. He didn't do any of that. He was just over that part. So while he was not in a franchise agreement, the way that he exerted control is that there was this huge community. It was through Facebook and then also through the Bikram yoga site. And so that's where they would list all of the studios and refer people. So if someone wants to do Bikram yoga, that's how they would find out who owned the studios. And if anything ever came back, and it seems like a very gossipy type of mm, tattletellers. Yes. And they would. They'd be like, oh, my God, I heard that so-and-so went to to this woman's studio and she didn't say the dialogue exactly how it was supposed to be, Bikram would make examples of them. He would bring them up. He would invite them to teacher training and then he would embarrass them in front of everyone. So he would do it in a very cruel way to call you out and that would keep everybody in line because you didn't want to piss off Bikram. Oh, what is the point? (laughs) He also hired large groups of legal people and he would threaten to sue you all the time. of course. Nobody really knew. They always do that. I know. And nobody really knew that he didn't have the copyright. He told everybody he had a copyright on this and he would take them to court if they tried to change the name, change the dialogue. He really didn't have any power, but he had these people so like sucked in and brainwashed that they wouldn't cross him. Mm. And so everyone was afraid and they said it was kind of like Big Brother, like where (laughs) you just knew people were always watching. So you just stayed in line. Yeah. And Bikram understood he had that power and that he could decide to close a studio. He could ruin someone's career because they would basically just be ran out of town in shame. And there were a couple of stories of this happening to studio owners. The other thing is that using his name, I was listening to some of them talk about it. You wanted to use his name Mm -hmm. because at the time, Bikram Yoga was the thing. Yeah. And having his name on your studio would draw in people automatically versus if you just went out there and said, hey, this is Jessica's yoga studio. Everybody's like, who is that? (laughs) 
<laughs> goat yoga wasn't around yet because that's fucking amazing. But or cat yoga, cat yoga. But they were saying you wanted to have that Bikram name on it because that would just be an automatic I get it. following. The studios were growing at such an exponential rate. I was reading that several of them had to turn people away because they didn't have room. Mm. So it was like a, yeah. it was kind of like a turnkey business. If you went to this teacher training, you had the money to go open a studio. You were going to make money, and many of them were making very good money. So you stayed in line because you wanted to keep making that money and you didn't want to piss off Bikram and you didn't want to be embarrassed in front of your community because you've bought into this already. Right. You've gone to teacher training. You've bonded in this way. But that was only one way that he exerted his power where I feel every cult goes. And that is the exploitation of women. Mm. We already talked about him getting young women up there to massage him in front of the whole room. Even children. Right. So what's going on when he's not in front of the whole room? Right. Yep. That's where it all goes bad. There was a dark side. He had a private penthouse suite at every one of these trainings. Yep. This is something everyone knew this was going on, but they just didn't think about it. People knew that at night after the trainings were over, Bikram would invite people to his room to watch movies, Bollywood movies, supposedly, because he doesn't sleep, remember? Oh, yeah. So he just watches movies all night and he wants people to come to his room and keep him company. And being invited to his room was considered a huge honor. Never boys, though. Never boys. Mm. This is where it's going to get kind of tricky because most of the women would go there voluntarily. And a lot of people would say, just as they did with Harvey Weinstein, if a man invites you to his hotel room, you know what he wants. But that never means you fully consented just because you showed up at the room. No, it doesn't. Especially if it's your yogi or your manager, they're asking you to come meet with them. So there were six women who came forward officially, but there are hundreds of women who tell the same story. Yeah. So I am going to tell a few of the stories But just know they're all very much the same. If you get an invite from Bikram, you are in this Bikram world for teacher training. You've paid thousands of dollars to be there. And someone knocks on your door and says, Bikram requests your presence upstairs. If you say no, you're out. You're kicked out. Yeah. So I want everyone to think about that when we start talking about these stories. This is Mm -hmm. not a normal environment where you really truly have choice. Yeah. And so many of these women are saying Bikram was the one that it was like make or break. Yeah. You already paid $16,000, but that was not a guarantee you got that stamp of approval. You had to finish those nine weeks. And And even if you finished it, yeah, I was like, even if you finished it, he could hold that over you and say, I'm not going to sign this. I'm not satisfied yet. And he did those things. So he had this power specifically over women that he chose because that's what all abusers do. They choose certain women. And a lot of them say that he had a way of knowing which women were the most broken. Mm. A lot of women were attracted to yoga because they were looking for something that they may be missing in their life. Yeah. And he had like this radar to find those girls and to abuse them. So remember how I said that you had to be 21 years old to go to training. He's trying to cover his basis there. I want to tell the story of Jill Lawler, and she was one of the six that brought a lawsuit against Bikram. So she was 17 years old when she first went to a Bikram studio in Vancouver, Canada, and she said it completely transformed her. She was in a state of deep depression. And she was to the point where she had considered taking her life. And she said yoga changed her life for the better. And she just felt like she wanted to bring this to other people because it had saved her life, literally. Mm -hmm. But she was only 18 at that time. And she wanted to go to teacher training, but you're supposed to be 21 years old. She wrote a letter to Bikram explaining how the yoga had changed her life and asked if she could be let in early at only 18. And she received a letter back a few weeks later saying, yes. 
you can come. She's only 18. She's very, I think, naive when I look at it. She talks about when she went to training, she had never left Vancouver. Mm. It was her first time being away from her parents and her boyfriend, her whole family. Like that had been her whole life. And she was brought to Vegas. And she said it was overwhelming. She'd never been around like a casino and and the things that happened in Vegas. And then she's surrounded by like 400 people in this room, this really intense thing. Yeah, that would be a lot. And she said she was really excited to meet Bikram. And on the first day, she got to meet him in person at his welcome lecture. She was in awe of him, kind of starstruck. And she just told him about how it had changed her life. And she said, if everybody did this yoga, the world would be a better place. Oh, boy. She's looking at him all starry eyed. She is. Like, she's oh, young. Yeah. And she just thinks he's an amazing person. She's not looking at him sexually. but Oh, no. She befriended a girl in class. And the girl was like, I'm really good friends with Bikram. Like, if you want to talk to him more, I can help you do that. And it almost sounds like this girl was uh, out looking for victims for him. And I, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't find a lot of detail about that. But I do wonder, yeah. just like in a lot of these stories, if yeah. there were other women feeding Recruiting, him. Yeah, that's like Nexium. Yeah. Thing. All the cults. Yeah. And then they were watching a movie one night because it was a lecture night that they were showing the Bollywood movie. And this girl that she had befriended started telling her that she was so tired because she had been in Bikram's room the night before watching a movie and she had been massaging him and she was talking about how her fingers were tired. Okay. And she was like, why are your fingers tired? And she's like, he wouldn't let me stop massaging. And she said that she thought they were just joking around. And and Jill was like, I mean, I would give him a massage just, you know, to be able to talk to him again because she's still starstruck towards him. And then the girl was like, really? You'll massage him? And while they were talking, Jill said Bikram walked over and like overheard them or I don't know what exactly was going on. And the girl that she had befriended said, hey, Bikram, this is Jill. She wants to come massage you. Uh, and Jill was like, I was just joking. Like, I didn't really want to and then it like all became too real and she said it was a very surreal experience all of a sudden she's up there in front of everybody massaging his feet oh but for whatever reason while she was up there she said it felt kind of cool I guess just felt special yeah she got invited up to his room that night nothing happened and then she got invited back the second night and she said something about him was different and he asked her to start massaging him and she said all of a sudden he just started trying to kind of force himself his hands like started going into her shirt and he started trying to stick his hands down her pants. She said it was really fucked up. And she said she bolted out in the middle of the movie. They were watching some Bollywood movie and she was on her way out crying and she didn't know what to do. And she was going back to her hotel room and she was stopped by two other women in the hallway. And they said, what happened? Why did you run out of his room? And she told them what had just happened. She said Bikram just started trying to get in my pants. Yeah. And the girls just looked at her and said, yeah, of course. That's the point. What did you expect? She said they weren't phased at all. And she felt like her world had just been destroyed because she thought this was her yogi. Yeah. And then it was just completely shattered. And now she had to come to grips with, is he a bad man? You lose all respect. Yes. And then this is the part where a lot of people will victim blame because Jill didn't leave the training after that. Mm. She didn't know what to do. So she just showed up at class the next morning and everything was the same. She's only 18. Yeah, she's a baby. And while she was at his night long lecture, he came up to her. He snuck up to her while everyone was just laying down. And she said he took her outside and he gave her this crazy intense apology. Like, I'm so sorry. And he said, in 50 years, that's never happened to anyone. I just think that you're so incredibly beautiful. Something just 
just came over me and I just couldn't control myself. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then he said, you're the same age as my daughter. Uh. And then she said, he said, please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. And she said it felt like this little boy just begging for her forgiveness. Mm, okay. She said he seemed very contrite. If she left the training, she lost everything. Her parents had given her the money to go there. It was from mm. her college fund. So she had nothing else to fall back on. So she felt like if she went back to Canada, she'd be a failure. Yeah. And then she'd have to tell her parents this. Yeah. She said, so she had that option or she could just take his apology. He mm. didn't actually rape her. No. So she kind of wrote it off. Okay. And she stayed at training. But she said he kept calling her to the front of the room to, to massage. massage him. Mm. Yeah, that's power. He knew exactly he what, knew he, he, was what doing. he was doing. She said that when she was up there, he would make little comments to her or he would move his body in a way where her hand might like go to his inner thigh. Like Closer he was to totally fucking with her. Yes. Uh, in front of everyone. And she's like, I couldn't just jump up and run out. Like I just I feel for this girl because you are stuck in this helpless feeling. And mm -hmm. so many people want to say, why didn't she just leave? It's not that simple. You guys don't have everything on the line. Right. He had all the power and other trainees would just shrug their shoulders and be like, yeah, that's Bikram. Like they already were doing. And then it got much worse. Not she good. said about a week later, there was a knock on her door and she was ordered to go up to Bikram's hotel suite to give him a massage again. And she said, I was too scared to say no. So she went up to his room. Hmm. As soon as she walked inside, she realized she was the only one there before there had been other girls. So that felt safe. And she said he started trying to force himself on her right away. He pulled his pants down and put his penis in her face and told her to lick it. Uh. And she just kept saying, no, I don't want this. No, no. He grabbed her by the neck and he started kissing her. She said he was so aggressive. She couldn't breathe. She tried to get him off of her. And it was just this helpless situation. Oh, my gosh. She was trapped there for two or three hours, mm -hmm. begging him to let her go. She's like, you're a married man. I shouldn't be here. What about your wife? And then he started going into this whole thing about like, oh, me and Rajasri aren't really together. And I feel like God is telling me that I need to be with you. You're so beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay. I have nothing to say there. She said she was trapped in his room till about six o'clock in the morning. And at that point, she had held him off as long as she could. And she was just defeated. He eventually raped her. Mm. She said, I had made it very clear I did not want that. But she knew that she wasn't going to get out of the room and there was no one there to help her. Yeah. As soon as he was done, he told her to leave and she went back down to her room. And that was when she was just like, what the fuck just happened? And she was really angry at herself. Jill did try and take it to there were women that were working as like medical advisors for for people who did have problems and she did mention it to one of those women that she felt particularly close to and they basically wrote it off and said well you went to his room mm. they also said separate the man from the yoga so it was very clear to Jill at that point that it was common knowledge that this kind of thing happened it was just Bikram that's the story I'll tell the most of. There were five other women who came forward to sue him. Their stories were all very similar, being forced to come up to his room, being told they were going to give him a massage, and then he would force themselves up on them. There was one girl named Larissa Anderson, and she was asked to come to his house and have dinner with him and Rajasri. And Rajasri and the children, I think the children were like eight to 10 at the time, went upstairs to sleep, and he raped her in his own house with his wife 
wife and kids there. Wow. All of these stories are the same. He would tell the women that he couldn't help himself. They were so beautiful. There was one woman, she was the first one that came forward in 2013. Her name was Sarah Bond. And not only did he sexually assault her in the privacy, but he would also come up behind her in the middle of class and grind his penis into her while she was doing formations. Oh like, my gosh. There was just so much. So disgusting. There was so much. Then all of it came out on the Facebook forum. When Sarah came forward, she was the first one. And there was like this split down the middle. So half of the community believed her and were like, oh, my God, he is a fucking creep. I'm so sorry. You should take him to court. And then the other half were like, you wanted it. You went to his room. Yeah. You knew that he probably wanted sex. Why did you do that? He's a man after all. He's a man after all. Uh huh. And the men who had gone to teacher training felt horrible that they weren't there protecting these young girls. Like they had never thought about it. They had seen him having women massaging in front of them, but they didn't think much further of it. These women took it to the L.A. cops because they had been raped and they wanted to press criminal charges. But Beekram was a very famous man and he had a lot of money. Yeah, he had a lot of celebrity friends. And this is before the Me Too movement. And many of the girls said they were re-traumatized talking to the police because the police would ask them questions like, what were you wearing? Why did you go to his room? But they didn't really understand all the nuances of the fact that you were trapped in this like surreal world for nine weeks where Bikram owned you, Yeah, essentially. They got really, really discouraged. And there were no criminal charges ever brought up against Bikram Chowdhury. Ah, oh, they just get away with so much. And there are over 70 women at this point who said he had touched them or forced them to do things they didn't want to do. Not all of it was full rape, but there was a lot That's of so just horrible. groping. And, and he's still out there doing this. Possibly. So they don't stop. They don't. So these six women who tried to take him to court were ridiculed by the community, many of them. And if you want to hear all of their stories, I don't have time to go through all of this. And I usually want to tell the story of every woman, but I can't because there's so many. There are documentaries out there. There's a great one on Netflix and then the 30 by 30. And you can hear these women's stories and it will just break your heart. One of the women talks about how she endured this and then she tried to make the best of it and opened a studio because she was like, I should at least make money from this. And she said what really made her want to come forward is that she had a five-year-old daughter and the little girl came up to her and said, mommy, I want to be like you. I want to become a yoga teacher. And the Mm. first thing that popped into her mind was like, no, you can't do that because you'll be raped. And when she thought of that, she was like, I have to bring charges against this man. He can't keep doing this to women. So no criminal charges were filed. So they had to take it to civil court. Okay. So they didn't just stop it there. No. Bikram denied all the accusations against him. He says, I don't need to rape women. Women are lining up around the block to fuck me. No, you make them come to your room. (laughs) There's a difference. (laughs) And you know what? That's probably true. There were a lot of women that willingly would have slept with him. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's the same thing with a lot of these guys. There are women who just do want to be, and they don't want those ones though. No, they want the ones that were broken that they had to force. Exactly. Rape is never about sex. It's always about power. Exactly. The six women who accused Bikram of sexual assault and rape have always maintained the lawsuits were never about money. They were about justice and acknowledgement. They wanted him held accountable and put away so he couldn't keep doing this to other women. Mm -hmm. But there is one silver lining. I don't have a good story for those who filed sexual assault against him, but there was one story. And this is about his attorney, Mickey Jaffa Bowden. 
Now, Mickey was brought from India to be his main legal counsel. He brought her in before the sexual assault charges came, and she was just on board to help him with like the copyright infringement. She was almost trapped here because she had come from India. All the money was coming from Bikram. He didn't treat her very well, and she started getting reports of sexual harassment. And she was trying to figure out a way to defend him. Mm. Because she was his counsel. That was her job. And a lot of people give her some shit too. And they're like, how could you be a female lawyer and stay with a client that you know was sexually harassing all of these women? Because she was stuck too. But she had signed a legal document to be his lawyer. And that's how it works when you're their lawyer. They can tell you that they killed people and you can't go tell anybody. You are bound to keep those secrets per the legal system. And she knew if she spoke out against Bikram or tried to leave, he could ruin her. Yeah. So it was another power dynamic that you have to think about. But she was looking into this and she said Bikram got so angry that she was even giving any acknowledgement to the fact that there were sexual harassment charges against him and he fired her. And this is actually what gave her the opportunity to take him to court. Good. Because it was retribution. Mm -hmm. He fired her for doing her job and following up on these sexual harassment cases. And she got a really good lawyer. Good. And she knows what to look for. (laughs) She's a lawyer. (laughs) And she got this badass woman. And she's in the documentary. And I love this lawyer. Like, if I ever need legal assistance, I want to go get this woman. It's all on camera when they did this deposition with Bikram. Oh. And he hates women. You can just tell the way that he's talking to her. Mm. It really bothered him that a female was in the room telling him he could not hold his anger in. Oh, He called her a bitch. And it was great because she would just sit there and she would say, (sighs) you can call me whatever you want. I'm not leaving this room. And she talked about how his lawyers that he hired after firing Mickey, they were doing what all rich men do. They kept delaying the trials and, Mm -hmm. and playing the games. And it took her like a year to get him into court. And she did. And they sued him for wrongful termination and sexual harassment. Good. She won. Good. And she received a $7 million judgment. Wow. But Bikram wasn't going to pay her that $7 million. Of course not. Bikram just fled the country. He left. Oh, wow. And there's no extradition for civil cases, only for criminal cases. Mm. So her case had come to court before the other six women because of just the way the process worked. Their six cases were scheduled to be in court after Mickey. Were they civil as well? Oh, they were. Yes, they were all civil. Oh, my gosh. And what else he did? In December of 2015, he filed for divorce from Rajashree. And he left Rajashree everything. So now Mickey can't get any of the money because the money doesn't belong to Bikram anymore. He gave it all to Rajashree. Oh, my gosh. Many believe, and I believe it as well, that the divorce was a sham. It was just a way for them to hide their money because Rajashree, she's no better than Bikram in a lot of ways at this point. Mm -hmm. She may have started out as an innocent coming from India, but she likes her Birkin bags. She likes her cars. She likes her nice house. Yeah. And he's not focused on her for the sexual stuff. He's focused on everyone else. So she doesn't really have to do much for it. A lot of people said that their marriage had been just for show for many, many years. Yeah, because you have to marry an Indian woman. And she knew what Mm -hmm. he was doing to these girls. She had stopped showing up at teacher training for about five or six years before that Mm. because I think she knew. Yeah. He also had two children and they're little assholes. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They're all very egotistical. In the documentary I watched, they tried to go and interview his kids and they were just really rude and were like, get out of here because Bikram is still at large today. He lives in different places. Mm. He bounces around. He's been in India. He's been in Thailand. He's been in Mexico. 
The one thing that Mickey did get, she was able to get her hands on a fleet of his cars. He had shipped them down and tried to hide them in Florida in a warehouse. He had also tried to ship some to Dubai and the government was able to stop that. So she did get the cars and she was able to sell those for some of the judgment, but it's nowhere near the $7 million. Right. She also did get full control of his business empire. So she owns the Bikram, although it's not worth much nowadays. Yeah. She could just change the name to Bikram Sucks Yoga, (laughs) and then maybe people would show up. Change the name. Right. Leave Bikram so that they know what it is, but change it slightly, and then people will show up. She did everything she could legally, and he was served by someone, because I guess you can be served all over the world. He was served while in Thailand. That was caught on video, and he threatened this poor guy is just like trying to serve him papers and he threatened to kill him and it was a real asshole move if you see the video gross here's the really scary part to me I guess is he's still doing teacher training or he was as of 2019 I couldn't find much on him after that but he was doing trainings in Acapulco Mexico he was doing trainings in Thailand he did several trainings in Spain and he still has all these young women coming to the training Mm. And you have a very divided group of people. Some believe that these women were asking for it or whatever they want to believe and that he's innocent and he's still this amazing guru. And then you have the other half that are like, this guy's a sick predator and I want nothing to do with him. Yeah. He's a scam. He's not who he really said he was. There was an investigative reporter who wanted to know more, and she traveled to India. Oh, good. She wanted the real story. (laughs) Who is Bikram Chowdhury? So she went to Calcutta, and she met with the, I think it was the granddaughter or the great-granddaughter of Ghosh. Okay. Vishnu Ghosh is like the guy. Mm-hmm. He's considered yoga royalty. And she, her name's Kaiva. And she said, if you look back, hot yoga had been around in India for years and years. In Bengali, they called it kabusha, which means you sit around a ring of fire and do your meditation and poses. Mm. So that version of hot yoga that he said he created, it was his like idea in Tokyo, had been around long before Bikram was even born. I mean, it is possible to individually come up with something you've never heard yourself before. Yeah, true. So Kavya had actually gone to one of Bikram's teacher trainings in 2012. And she said while doing his poses, those 26 that he took credit for creating, she said something about it just felt really familiar. Mm -hmm. So she shared this little story. She said when she was about three or four years old, her grandmother used to teach her yoga in India. And she said it was a very similar sequence to what Bikram claims that he has put together. And apparently it's something that young children were taught in India. And it was just like passed on from generation to generation. So most likely this revolutionary 26 poses, he may not have even learned from Ghosh. He may have just learned it from school in India because it's something that's just done. Okay. (laughs) Kind of like like what you said, your daughter. Yeah. Kavya, when she went, she was like, I remember this. And then she went back and she asked her mom and her mom's like, oh yeah, we learned that too. And it's like one of these things that had just been passed on (laughs) through elementary schools or whatever they're called over in India. He just packaged it in a good deal, added some hot yoga that he said he created. Made it for adults, not children. Exactly. (laughs) Interesting. Maybe he didn't remember doing it and it came to him in a dream. (laughs) And he would believe it because he believes everything that he says. So there were other things that Bikram claimed to have invented. He would say things and a lot of this is recorded like he invented the disco ball (laughs) okay you weren't even over here yet when that was (laughs) happening he made a claim at one point that he taught the Beatles yoga in 1959 okay (laughs) but the Beatles didn't exist in 1959 and he would have only been 15 years old Mm, yeah And if you would call him out and be like, how you were 15 or the Beatles weren't even together, then he'd be like, ha ha, obviously I'm joking. You just can't take a joke. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
He said things like, I taught the Statue of Liberty how to do yoga, and that's why she can stand up all day and her back doesn't hurt. Truth with Bikram was a very tricky thing. But he gave entire lectures on how he never (laughs) lies. Right. And I saw an interview, and I don't have this written down, but it was a story told by a man in India. And he said, when you're a child in India, you grow up with these like tall tales. I think about like we learn tall tales Mm -hmm. in school too. And it was always about these mythological men and all these great things that they would do. And when he looked at the background of what Bikram was telling people in the US, it reminded him so much of the kind of stories Mm. and tall tales that they were told growing up. And it's like Bikram internalized that and started spinning those tall tales and maybe believed them himself. Yeah. So this investigative reporter was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of what's really going on with this guy. And so she went to a part of Calcutta called Bagbazar. And she said within 45 minutes, she was able to find his childhood home. And from his house, it was about a mile and a half to the school where he said he trained with Ghosh. There was no special connection when she interviewed with Ghosh's daughter. There was really no recollection of him. Ghosh is not alive anymore. He passed away. But And she brought up the fact that if he was truly honoring his guru and the way that the yoga world works, when he went to America and taught the sequence that he learned from Ghosh, the proper thing to do would have been to name it after your guru, because mm. that's what you're supposed to do. Attribute it back to your great teacher. And instead, he put his name on it everywhere because he's Mr. Narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> they also went back and found out his whole story about Nixon. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't true. Yeah. <laughs> Nixon didn't know who he was and they couldn't even find a record of him getting a green card. So, mm. yeah, there's a lot of questions. Basically, everything that I told you at the beginning was all just his he fabrication. Didn't win these competitions three years in a row and they had to create a role just because of him. So interestingly enough, yoga competitions in India didn't start until 1974. Oh. So. so there wasn't even a championship for him to have one. His thought was put into effect, though. Yes. Not because of him. But. <laughs> they also found that he did study under Ghosh, but he only went to Ghosh when he was 18 years old and he was only there for like six months. Okay. And they also said he didn't even train yoga under Ghosh. He was actually training in weightlifting to build his physique. Hmm. So the guy is a complete sham. He's a complete scam artist. And he's a predator towards women and could still be out there doing that to other women today because of these teacher trainings. And he's still making money off of all of these teacher trainings. And he's hiding his money somehow. I don't know if it's all being paid to Rajashree or whatever, Mm -hmm. but Mickey's not seeing any of the money. And the six women who accused Bikram of sexual assault never had their day in court. A couple of them on the documentary says, you know, I wanted to look him in the eye in court and say, this is what you did to me. Yeah. And they never got that. Yeah. And it's hard to move on when you don't have that. Yeah. Especially if you've made it your goal to do just that. After the Mickey judgment and Bikram fleeing the country, five of them did settle. And so they did get some money. They said it was very small monetary settlement, but they felt like they should at least get something. Yeah, they paid. They should at least get paid back. Yes. And I don't know how much it was. They said it wasn't enough to really make a big change. But a lot of people come after these five women who settled and said that the fact that they settled means that they were just after money. No, because you have to move on at some point in your life. This whole thing makes me so angry because this happens all the time when it comes to sexual assault. And it's fucked up. Yeah. It's like these women did have something taken from them and they'll never see justice. If they got, you know, $5,000, then good for them. But that's not what they were seeking. Only five of them put their name out there. One of them was just known as Jane Doe 3. There is one that remains. So Jill Lawler, 
the story I told the 18 year old. She still has her case out there. She did not settle. And she's hoping one day she'll get her day in court. All right, Jill, I hope you get it. You deserve it. The last thing I could find about Bikram was from 2020. So four years ago, he had his passport seized in Mexico because he was at one of his teacher trainings at the Princess Mundo Imperial Hotel in Acapulco, and he didn't pay his $180,000 bill. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. He was 76 at the time, and there's nothing more about that. But I would assume if his passport was revoked, he must still be trapped down in Mexico. But Maybe he's off the radar. in a prison somewhere. 180 grand's a big one. Yeah. I did look online, and I was trying to find, like, where the state of Bikram yoga teacher training is today. And there are people who have picked up for him. And I think they might be secretly working for him and making money because a lot of them claim to be like friends with him still and working with Mm. him and they're teaching in like Spain and Thailand. So I think he's under the radar and still making money through teacher trainings, but he's not showing us face anywhere. So he's a fugitive. He's on the run. It's not a happy ending. Unfortunately, like most stories, I feel like it was the same way with the family. Mm-hmm. These people never come to justice. Nope. But the yoga has changed people's lives and it's still around today. It is no longer known as Bikram. Everyone who owns yoga studios that have been taught through Bikram have changed it now to hot yoga. You'll hear that a lot. Or it will be hot yoga 26 because it's the specific. They do not follow the dialogue anymore. They teach it very differently. Nobody wants to honor Bikram except for, I guess, all the people in other countries that are still going to trainings. But most women who are on the side of he's a creep. Mm-hmm. want to distance themselves. Yeah. So it's much like any cult where you have those who are still dedicated to him and think mm-hmm. he can do no wrong. And I saw some of those women. Unfortunately, there are women on his side still in the documentaries that just say, I don't care if he's a predator or not. He yeah. saved my life. Mm. I think that's a dangerous attitude. Those are the women who aren't getting any from him and they want it. <laughs> Should I laugh? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's kind of true, though. <laughs> they were the ones to make throwing a comment themselves. like that. I think it's disgusting to discount somebody else's suffering in that yeah. way and say, I don't care if it ruined, you know, these 70 other women's lives. I'm making money off the studio and I like it. <laughs> it's a pretty callous way to look at it. People can be mean. You're a B word. <laughs> I like this and it's how I want to end the episode. It was a quote from a woman named Jennifer Boyle who owns a studio or I guess she still owns a studio. She doesn't call it Bikram anymore. But she says, I do think that the yoga has a huge potential to help people transform. And maybe there will be a day when people can do the yoga and not even know that there was ever this creepy fucking dude with a skullet behind it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think there has to be a new era. Yoga has been on a journey for a really long time. The other really disconcerting thing I found when researching this is that there was one of the studio owners who decided she wanted to get away from Bikram. And so she started exploring other forms of yoga. And she said every single one that she looked at, every founder had sexual assault. So it's... I mean, it's everybody bent in very vulnerable positions. I don't see how it doesn't become that, especially if there's a man at the top. Yeah. And maybe men want to be at the top because they want to see lots of young girls bent over in front of them. Yes. Yoga does have a lot of sexual undertones to it. It's why I felt uncomfortable doing it in front of my coworkers. I know. And if you're good at it and you stick with it, yoga gives you a really fucking hot body. True. So, uh, yikes. Just do it in your house. Or do it in front of your partner and then y'all can have sexy time. I mean, (laughs) what I, yeah, do partner yoga. That's different. That's Mm -hmm. sensual. That's 
It's sexy. Make it happen together. But not in a room with but a bunch of strangers. Make sure it doesn't always end in sex unless you want that because yeah. then you're not going to get any <laughs> yoga done. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get more. Well, maybe you'll get more flexible. <laughs> you'll try new positions. I don't know. This is my story. It's not a true cult. But if you think about it, this guy. It's a cult. Was. Yeah. And there's still people worshiping this guy till for whatever fucking reason they think he changed their life and that he's always going to be their guru. So that's cult territory to me. Mm. When you want to like throw out all the facts and still worship this man. Mm. Especially the I don't care if he molests people. Yeah. Yeah. That's messed up, guys. Yeah. Don't be that person. Beakram's gross. Mm. I wish you could see the pictures and see our faces when we look at pictures. He looks like the crypt keeper. (laughs) He does. (laughs) And he went downhill real quick because I remember seeing. Which is weird. He was so healthy. So. Right. I don't know. He Mm. never eats or sleeps. Oh, that was the other thing. I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was really funny. The 30 by 30 podcast, the investigative journalist actually got to sit down with Bikram and do an interview. He wouldn't let her be on record like he wouldn't talk on the podcast. But she told the story of meeting him. And she said he told her that he never eats while he was stuffing his face with fettuccine Alfredo. Okay, so he's straight up delusional. He's Delulu. He's Whoa. like off the charts. Okay. And she said that he was super paranoid he about was, everything. So this whole time he's been stuffing himself with really bad stuff. And that's why he looks Rock, like that's what I, was, I think that's why I was thinking of it. Because he looked really good. And then by 40, when he went to marry Rajasree, he was not that good looking. Hmm. And he already had like the skullet going on. So interesting. I guess if you look at like his actual physique, like his muscle structure and all that is pretty good for 60s but I can't get past the creepy looking face and hair well it's because his insides started to match his outsides true and everything that he was doing starts coming out yeah well that was fun oh yoga so it's something to think about if you ever go to a hot yoga class this was the origins wow sorry (laughs) gives you a whole different perspective too makes you wonder about the men in the classroom and especially if you have a male teacher Where'd you go learn this? Did you meet him? Did you bring home some of his ways? It's true. I will say that most of the men that went to the yoga training that I saw in the documentaries played for the other team. So I don't think they were a threat to women. (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. Although some use that as a guise and still do it anyway. And a lot of them. And I thought he was homophobic. How did they go through the training? I don't know. Questions, questions. So many questions. You know, the one I mentioned in the beginning he lost like 200 pounds he said he would not be alive today most likely if it wasn't for Bikram's yoga so we're not discrediting the actual yoga I think you don't lock people in a room for 90 minutes and make them stay there and not go to the bathroom there are different ways to go about that it's hard it's like are you going to lock yourself in a room for 90 minutes and make yourself do that probably not (laughs) and that's what people are looking for yeah people go to CrossFit for that reason they get personal trainers because People will kick your ass more than you will ever do for yourself. So I get the idea of it. But Bikram just his narcissism took over Mm -hmm. and he couldn't control his darker side after a while. Maybe he started out with good intentions. I don't know. Yoga boot camp doesn't have to involve assault and urinating on oneself. (laughs) No. If you're in that situation, you're probably in a cult. Yeah. Well, he started his whole training with your family doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. I matter. And what I obedience. So, yes, that's the definition of a cult. And trust the process. That sounds like a cult tagline, if anything. (laughs) 
definitely an MLM tagline. <laughs> yeah, and this does have MLM undercurrents to it, too. I know, it's so weird. Yeah. I mean, they're all connected. That's our story for today. Hope you enjoyed it. I mean, I did. I'm grossed out right now. We took a break, and she was using my stepper, and I'm like, maybe we should. I don't want to do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> don't do hot yoga. <laughs> they need to make showers bigger, and then I'll do hot, hot yoga. <laughs> Asana, yeah. Asana yoga. I don't do well in the heat. I think I might pass out. Me too. I am not a heat person. You can find us on social media. I'm going to post all kinds of cute pictures of Bikram so you can giggle along with me and Jessica. Such and a cutie. We, <laughs> we are on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook, all at Lucid Lab Podcast, one word. Please send in your lab reports. That's coming up here in a little bit. LucidLabPodcast at gmail.com or you can mail to P.O. Box 251 East Lake, Colorado, 80614. Go leave those reviews. Yes. And in the meantime, stay lucid. No kissy kissy. No huggy huggy. No touchy touchy. And no, no fucky fucky. fucky. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Don't look so sad. It's not over. Long way from home to kill yourself. That's why you pay for, that's why I am here.